Brother Adam King, would you come? Let's give him a warm welcome. Well, praise the Lord. Isn't God good? Man, you know, it's so incredible just watching what God does with churches, with individuals. You never expect it sometimes, and sometimes you do expect it. And uh, I was privileged to uh, to uh, go to one of the services, or a few services, in the old building when it was super packed out, and that was a long time ago, so I don't know how you guys kept doing it. And then to come into this beautiful place, you guys are blessed. You guys are a blessed people. God has been so good. Just to remind you, if you forgot for a second. Amen. Um, I thank God for all that. I started looking around, and I was like, oh, I know them. I know them. I know them. Okay. I'm amongst people that I like and love. And uh, I give honor to the Gazandes. They made a, a big impact. There was one time where I didn't have a house, and I had to stay with them for a while. So they probably got tired of me. So he probably didn't mean all the things he said there. Uh, but it was really good to uh, be in their loving home. And I owe a lot to the sergeants, all the sergeants. But so thankful today that I wrapped my pink tie in a black tie today. I love Brother Sergeant. He has been an example of what a godly man looks like. A godly father and sister sergeant. You're, a, you're an example to all of us what a godly couple that can raise godly men that are making a difference around the world. And I don't just say that. Amen. The Bible says to give honor to whom honors due. And the Mayos, I can't tell all the times that they have spoken prophetically into our lives. Um, they tend to pour into people when they need it most. And uh, they have the you know your pastor. He's, he hears from God, and he tells people what they need to hear, whether they like it or not. <laughs> and uh, we've received words from God from Brother Mayo that have held us in difficult times. And um, I'm thankful, beyond thankful, for your ministry, Sister Mayo and Brother Mayo. They've made a difference in our lives. So, and I'm missing people, but I love all of you, uh, Zach and Ari and all, of, all the people here that I know, I love all of you guys. You guys are awesome. So, if you have your Bibles, I'm looking forward to this week. It's going to be a good time. It's going to be a good time. If you would turn to Numbers chapter 6, verse 22. And Jordan, you sound really good on the keys. I heard him before he sounded like that. good minor nine. The Bible says, and this is a familiar verse, but I hope to um, open up this verse and maybe show you a different side of this verse. Um, see what God has to say to us tonight. 
The Bible says, And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto Aaron and unto his sons, saying, On this wise ye shall bless the children of Israel, saying unto them, The Lord bless thee and keep thee. The Lord make his face shine upon thee and be gracious unto thee. The Lord lift up his countenance upon thee and give thee peace. And they shall put my name upon the children of Israel, and I will bless them. You can put your Bibles down. Can, we, can you ask God to come in this place right now? He's already in here. But ask him to open our, our minds, open our hearts to receive the word, to help us to introspect in what God is trying to tell his church. Let's all pray. Jesus, thank you, God, for this day. Thank you, God, for giving this opportunity to us to gather together. God, I pray that you would pour your words in deep into our hearts, God. God, I pray let the Spirit of God come into us, help us, help to change us, Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. I wasn't born yet in 1979, but there was a kid called Nathan who impacted my life. So Barkari is his name. It doesn't sound like a normal name you've ever heard because he's an Israeli archaeologist. They were doing um, some digs in um, Jerusalem, and it was really neat uh, because these, they, well, they were underfunded as a project, um, and they invited a whole bunch of school kids to come and help their archaeological dig because digging in the ground is not always easy, Right? So they're wanting to unearth treasures and, you know, things that we'd read, talk about here in the church, you know, uh, artifacts, just trying to find stuff. So they didn't have very much money, and they invited all these school kids. So, like, 12- and 13-year-olds were there that day on the dig. So there's this kid called Nathan, uh, the archaeologist remembered, um, that he said he was an annoying kid. He kept pulling on his shirt and asking him questions, and he's like, I didn't have time for that. So what he did is he gave the, the 12-year-old, Nathan, a hammer, good idea, and sent him away into this little, like, uh, enclosed area of this archaeological dig and said, hey, just dig here. And he thought, just get him away from me so I can focus on other important matters, right? So Nathan is doing his thing, digging in this area, and, of course, Nathan gets bored, because that's what 12-year-olds do, you know. And he starts banging around in this archaeological dig. You're not really supposed to do that. I don't know if you've been to one. Um, but he's just banging. And turns out this kid busts through the floor. And what happens is, come to find out, Nathan discovered a treasure. The floor falls through. And underneath was this hidden from view. They hadn't found it because... Grave robbery was a real thing back in the day. You know, like, everybody was buried with all their important stuff, so it was a good idea to go, bear, like, dig up the important stuff with the important people, and you got a whole bunch of money. So a lot of people were into grave robbery. Well, this particular dig was caved in, so it, when Nathan was banging on stuff, he found where the, the floor had caved in and hidden this from grave robbers. And what they found was one of the most important archaeological finds um, ever. So, 
that treasure that they found was two small pieces about this big of silver. Now, you might not like, well, I can go down to any shop and find some silver, but it wasn't just any old silver. What they were where they were silver scrolls they found out later. And it took them actually three years to unroll. Not because they weren't strong enough, but because they didn't want to damage what was inside. So when they actually started opening up, they found out, okay, this was a piece of jewelry that someone was wearing that really was lost. And as they undid this silver scroll, on the very top of it was written Yahweh, which was one of the first time that they had found an ancient piece um, with the word of God written on it, Yahweh. And they saw instantly that there were lots of very ancient, not even modern ancient, but very ancient writings on that scroll. What they found out was these verses that they, that on the silver scrolls predated the famous Dead Sea Scrolls by approximately four centuries. They were from the first temple period. This is the Solomon-built temple before Nebuchadnezzar destroyed it. So these are very, very old silver scrolls. And I got to see them. It was really cool. Here's the story. So my wife, um, as uh, Brother Gazande mentioned, was, um, well, she's working on her doctorate. And to finish your doctorate, you have to do certain things. You know, they make it hard for you, obviously. And they offered, so, you know, we're going to give you the chance to go to Missouri for two weeks. And Chris is like, that sounds like a blast. Sign me up. No, she had to do it. But then they came back later and they said, all right, you have a chance. You could go to Missouri or you could go to Israel. Difficult choice. So we said Missouri. No, I'm joking. We said, we'll go to Israel. Let's do that. So we, we booked the tickets. We booked everything, got everything right. We were jazzed. Of course, I was going as a chaperone. And I was like, I was so excited, right? Then they called like a couple months out and said, I'm so sorry. Your trip to Israel has been canceled. There wasn't enough signups. I wasn't going to Missouri. But they said, but there's a catch. If you, if you want to, there's a trip that you can go on that will take that's a month long instead of two weeks long and will give you it for the same price. I said, let's go to Israel. <laughs> so we, we were able to go to Israel for, for a whole month and study and, and actually go to an archaeological dig. It was amazing. I actually found a, a piece of pottery, actually a whole a lamp where uh, Marisha and his mighty men fought. Um, there was a underground cavern. We found this lamp. We, I dug it up. It was, a, I think, 2,300 years old. I was like, look what I found. And they're like, thank you. <laughs> they took it from me because I wouldn't trust me either with that, you know. But one of the most standout moments 
on that trip is when we went to the Jerusalem Museum. We walked in. We were going through all these artifacts. After a while in those sort of museums, your eyes just glaze over because everything's old and everything's important. And you're like, okay, just take me to the most important things. So they walked us over to this little piece of scroll. And it's not super impressive. It's only like this long unrolled. But I w- we were like, Wow. The significance is because my parents have been praying this prayer. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance on you and give you peace. But we'd add, in Jesus' name, of course, they didn't do that then. Um, for years, since I was a kid, and then with my wife, I prayed that same prayer every single day, every single night. And so this, this piece of verse had been ingrained in me. And to see it now represented on a scroll, now the oldest written piece of, of Bible anywhere before me was a special moment. And it's maybe not an accident that I'm preaching this today. So my, my title today is Silver Scrolls, The Family Guide. The Family Guide. So when I was asked to preach about families, you guys have probably done your... Well, maybe, I don't, probably not. Done your history on me. I have two kids. They are five, almost five in August, and two and a half, no, yeah, three. See, I'm not even a great parent because I can't remember my kids' birthdays. But here's the thing, like the jury's still out, right? So I can't be like, from my vast wisdom and knowledge of raising kids, I'll have Brother Sergeant come up and teach us all. So I said, okay, we have to go to the Bible for this one. I've counseled a lot of people on, uh, on parenting and, and listened a lot. My parents have counseled a lot of people. And I pray that I do a good job. But, you know, the Bible is truth. And the Bible is the manual for life. Thank God that he gave us the Bible. So I began thinking, what does the Bible have to say about raising children? Have you ever thought of that? I mean, if you're a parent, you probably have. If you're a kid, you probably haven't. But this is going to be not just for parents. So youth, don't just check out on me. This will be helpful for even for your relationships too. Because there are principles inside this verse that I think will help you in life if you really do apply them. So the first part is, well, the first verse is, may the Lord bless and bless you and keep you. Essentially, we're asking God to be the perfect parent to us. May the Lord bless you and keep you. We're asking God, who is perfect, who has the standard of perfection, to be the perfect parent to our kids. That's what's happening. But I think there's something maybe more than this. There are the seeds of what a parent ought to do to their child. Because, you know, God is our model. And we want to put this on. And how are we supposed to interact and parent our children? And how are we supposed to maybe even interact with our family that's maybe not blood family, but the family of God? So the Lord, for it says, for the, may the Lord bless you and keep you. The word, the word blessing there in Hebrew is uh, bracha. You're going to have to get like a loogie in the back of your throat, like ha. So bracha. Try it, everybody. 
Good job. Isn't that fun? So with this word comes the idea of, of multiplying, of, of uh, you know, two going to 20, going to 200. Actually, the, the numbers, every single letter in Hebrew represents a number. And so this word, this, this bracha, actually is represented, the numbers of it is two, 220. And the Jewish people always looking for treasures in their scriptures say, look, it's all multiples of two, which is interesting because that's the, that's, they say multiplication. It's about uh, of multiplying, not one, but two. They're multiples of one. So this idea of blessing, may the Lord bless you. It's about increasing. Do you see that? It's about increasing and multiplying. So when we look at our children, we're to bless them. What does that mean? You know, we say, you know, God bless you, brother. What does that mean? Have you ever thought about that? Yeah, may the Lord multiply you, right? Let's not go far with that. But with our kids and blessing our kids, what are we supposed to be multiplying? The first admonition from God to multiply you. Let's multi- we're supposed to multiply our kids emotionally. Help them to develop emotional. That means that we demonstrate what it is to be emotionally sound. Or have a, a work on our emotions so we don't let them get out of control. We're supposed to model what it looks like to be angry but not to sin. Right? So we're supposed to model this. We're supposed to bless them morally. Son, this is, this is wrong. We don't do this. Son, this is what we do here. You know, daughter, uh, this is what we do. We lift God up. Like, so we're guiding them morally. We're multiplying because they don't come out knowing this. This, is, this has to be taught diligently under thy, te- under thy children. So... Think about all the aspects we're multiplying them financially, teaching them financially. This is what it looks like to balance a checkbook or a credit card, I guess, right now. Like, well, if you're not, if you're Dave Ramsey fan, don't do that. But financially, academically, this is what we do in this. In, so we're blessing them with this knowledge. We're training up our children in the way they should go. And then the second part of this verse is to guard. May the Lord bless thee and keep thee. To guard. There's an inherent duty for a parent to guard them. And it's not just to guard externally, because that's the most reasonable way you would think, right? So, hey, son, you know, make sure when you're going to cross the street that you look both ways. We teach them the way of the world. But it's not just to to guard them from the external. Well, of course, you know, we don't watch this. We don't do this. We don't play this. We have to set parameters and fences and guardrails. But we also want to protect them, I would say, from us. Have you ever thought of that, parents? What are you demonstrating in your love for each other? Are you building a place, a safe place for your for your children to grow up. You're developing the seedbed. 
If you are a garden, you're creating the soil right now for your children to grow. And if there's turmoil, if there's constant bickering, if there's not love, this becomes difficult. I was, so when we were going to have Adeline, our first, our, our daughter, our five-year-old, you know how every parent wants to make their kid, a, you know, the genius? So instantly I started get downloading all these books, you know, like how to make your kid a genius. And I remember I was on the way to Tahoe and listening to this book and, you know, I'm going to apply everything, right? And something stood out. He said, you know, people talk to me and ask me all the time how, and he, this guy was a neurosurgeon from Harvard. And he's like, how do we get our kids into Ivy League schools? How do we get our kids, you know, to the next level? How do we make them great? That's what every parent wants, I, hopefully. They want greatness for their kids. They're speaking greatness into their kids. And you know what he said? He said, go home and love your wife. Go home and love your wife. Because he understands that your home is a place for, that, that nourishes the soul, that helps them develop that confidence to face the world. But if they have insecure attachment, everything else is unstable. And then they start looking for people to meet those needs that aren't maybe safe. So when we're guarding, don't just think of guarding external. Don't let this in. Don't do this. We're going to create a bubble. But how am I behaving in front of them that helps them or does that hinder them? And then guarding them from themselves. And this is where discipline comes in. There are certain things that we have to do as parents. It says the rod of correction. It talks about the Bible that we're supposed to, to, line, to make sure that they line up with what, what your... I mean, there is... Okay, let me back up. There is one commandment for kids, and that's to obey their parents. There's tons for, for parents to do, right? But we're expected to know a lot more than a kid. So we have to to guard them by saying, look, we have to, we're going to help you, but, but we, we're going to have to like change these behaviors. We're going to have to do this. And I was listening to something that said, you know, you don't correct, well, we don't punish, right? That's, it's not a penal system, but we correct. We correct our children. And it's not about how they made us feel. You embarrassed me in the mall, so I'm going to correct you. But it's about how, what they did wrong. So let me correct you and restore relationship between us. And I, I hope this is landing. And I'm not... This, these are principles, I think, that we can find within Scripture that really is helpful to how we should uh, raise our children. I want to leave you with a question here. Do you, do you want your kids to be just like you? Do you want your kids to be just like you? Because God is calling us to be like him. But sometimes we want to just point to pastor and be like, hey, just be like him, but I want the easy way out. God didn't give us that like responsibility. We're supposed to be our children's mentor. So we want to pursue the development and the growth of our children by protecting 
and blessing. The second, the second piece is may the Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. You know what's really interesting? The Lord make his face shine upon you. What are you asking there? Have you ever asked? I mean, there's a popular song going around right now. Like, what does that mean to make his face shine upon you? Like, you know, is it a flashlight in the dark thing? Or what does this mean to make his face shine upon you? When you look at the first, may the Lord bless you and keep you. The Jewish people ask the question. This is the first one. They ask the question, where does this begin? Where does this duty begin to bless and keep, to protect, to bless? They say the womb. It's not even when it's birth. It's the womb because the womb is the thing that is the ultimate blessing. It's literally building the child. And it's literally protecting. And and if actually the womb... In Hebrew, the connected word for that is compassion. So we're having compassion on the child. It has those two prerequisites of increasing and protecting compassion. So this is the sort of of love that's happening within the mother. But when the child's born, we see this make his face to shine upon thee. It's a more vertical relationship. When that baby is born and you're holding the baby in your hands and you're looking down... You just now had compassion. You went through a hard labor and birth. You did something that's incredible. And now, after, you're looking with compassion, which is this baby has done nothing for us. Actually, it's probably taken a lot from you. And this baby has done nothing for you, and let, now you have, you're looking down with complete love at this baby. That's the second type of love that we see here. Make his face shine. I want to ask a question, parents. How often do you let your face shine upon your kids? It's not a, it's not a, you know, and I see this all the time with parents. If you get good grades, I'll make my face shine upon you. If you do this, so it's merited. It's earned love. And I can't tell how many adults that I've worked with that said, that when I asked, did you see love in your, in your family? How was that shown? I saw nothing. I wasn't demonstrated. And these are apostolic homes sometimes. Yes, I know they loved them. I, love, I know they, my parents loved each other. I know they loved me, but they didn't show me. And a lot of, I know a lot of, of men, sorry, I'll pick on men since I am one, right? So I got license. But a lot of men say, well, they ought to know my love because um, I provide, I go to work, I work hard, and that's enough. They should know. But do they? Do they love? How, what is the type of love that God shows you? What is the love that God shows you? Do we just come here not to feel his touch? We come here to feel his touch. We come here to feel his moving. We come here to feel his presence. We come here to feel and give and get presence. You've heard of the five love languages, right? That spouses show. I was talking to Brother Urshan, um, Joel Urshan. He said, you know why the five love languages work? It's because 
God shows all of those five love languages to us, to you and me. So I think fathers and mothers sometimes, when we withhold the gift of touch from our child, they're going to find it somewhere else. And it might not be when you want it to be or with whom you want it to be. Don't withhold your touch. Don't withhold the words of affection. Don't withhold the gifts. Don't withhold the quality time. Because when you do, there is a gap. Nothing can fill the cup of a father's love. Like nothing, nothing else fills that. Mothers, nothing else fills the approval from a mother. Think about this. And I'm, I'm calling us to think about what of these sorts of love do I need to work on? We haven't all mastered everyone at every single time. But there are times where we have to look introspectively and say, God, I love when I come to church and feel your presence and feel your touch and feel that quality time with you. What do I need to work on with my children? What do I need to, to change so that my children can see, my, see your love through my love? Because really, they don't get the concept, depending on how old your children are, they don't get the, the concept of God. I mean, they get like, yeah, the guy in the sky that created everything. But really, you are, you are the conduit through which God shows what a loving father looks like. Do you realize how many men and women have a difficult time envisioning what a heavenly father looks like when they never had a father? And now we are gifted with this opportunity to show our love and let it be a representation, an arm of what God is trying to show them, what he is like. I'm talking about that make his face, the vertical shining. The last verse, the Lord lift up his countenance upon thee and give thee peace. You see, each one of these verses... I think is the theory. Build upon the other. First is the womb, the compassion, the, the, the protecting, the blessing that moves us to the next place where we now have the ability to shine on them, that we can love them for them, not for who I'm trying to make them into, trying to love them into what God wants them to be. And now it moves us into the next place where your child starts to become an other. They're not you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon thee. This is where it's not so much of a vertical relationship with God, but it's more of a horizontal relationship with God. When, you're, when, when we're looking at our child face to face, when I'm bending down and looking in them into their eyes, it's a different sort of relationship. It's a little bit older, a little bit more mature. And you might ask, why would God have to lift up his countenance? Why is God's countenance fallen? You see, sometimes, and I don't know about you, but I don't always live up to what God wants me to do. I don't always meet God's expectations for Adam. I sometimes fall short of the mark of what God wants me to be. 
And there are times where I have to come into a place like this and put myself on an altar and humble myself and say, God, I pray that you would look me again in the eye and wrap your arms and love around me and please forgive me for not being who I could be. And God, the perfect parent, looks me back and says, I forgive you, Adam. And he doesn't hold a grudge, does he? He's always willing to forgive me and to extend the love and kindness. You see where I'm going with this? As a parent, we have the opportunity to start to be frustrated and to let our anger get the best of us with our kids or to let our disappointment show. And your kid is not you. They're going to be different than us. And it's a chance to show them the last form, the very difficult form of what true forgiveness looks like. To say, I forgive you. Let's do this again. And put it away. And not touch that again. And to love them and pull them in with an embrace to say, I forgive you. I love you. Let's do this again. And to know that that wasn't earned or that's just a pure, purely me loving them for them. But it's also me showing what God looks like. I've seen parents hold grudges. But also remember that your kids are watching how you hold grudges with people in this room. And maybe there's a part in their mind that goes, you know, I wonder if they're holding a grudge if they really don't like me. Let's show love one for another. And I'm not trying to pastor, but there's a verse that I think is so powerful when you think about it. John 13, 35. By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if you love one for another. Can people look at your marriage and know that you're a disciple of Christ? Can people look at your relationships around you to your best friendships and say, I know that they're Christians because of their love? Can people look at your parenting and the love that you could show to your parent, to your kids, and say, I know that they're God's disciples because that's incredible love? That's a big check. That's a tall order. But you know what? I know the power that's in this place. I know the power that's in me and you. He is the empowerment to help us to do the things that are hard. Even when you weren't shown that as a child, even when you struggled with anger, even when you've been shown negativity your whole life by your mother, God is working on you to show a different face to your children. And children, I would, and, and young people, you know, it is hard to guard relationships when people are talking about other people behind their back. But we are supposed to guard. We're supposed to bless with our words. We're supposed to love unconditionally because that's what Christians do. And we're supposed to forgive because that's what Christ did to us. And that's what God asked us to do. So today, 
I know we're not jumping around and screaming, but I know that God is in this place, and I know what God gave me today to speak to you. And when I read this and when I learned this, and this jumped out, I know that God was speaking to me. So I wonder on this Tuesday, you can all stand up with me. I'm, I'm finished. I wonder, this is the start of a family week. And thank God Brother Marks is cleanup hitter. <laughs> Couldn't have picked a better one. But a f- family, like Brother Gazande said from the very beginning, the church is built off of families. If there aren't solid families, it's not a solid church. And I've been to those churches too. The family is the bedrock. God moves to the family. Like, think of how important Mary and Joseph was to Jesus. You know, the one responsible for teaching the Torah was Joseph. It wasn't the rabbi, it was Joseph that was responsible for teaching. He doesn't get a lot of limelight. But that was Joseph's responsibility. I wonder if we could take this seriously and ask ourselves, God, what are you trying to show me today? What area do I need to work on? Do I need to be... Do I need to work with my wife to guard better? What are we letting in our home that's, that's antithetical to peace? What am I letting in the home that's, that's disrupting shalom, that's disrupting, that pulling apart peace? What am I letting in the home or allowing in the home? How am I speaking to the wife? How am I showing love? How am I demonstrating those, lang- that, those love languages to my family? Do I need to speak kindly to my kids more often? Do I need to hold my kids more often? Do I need to spend more quality time with my kids? I pray that God is speaking to your hearts. And is God helping us to show and demonstrate what real forgiveness looks like? We're working on this sanctification process, and it's not easy. But I pray to God that he's enlightening some some thing, one of these concepts in your mind of what God wants to do for you. As the musicians come, So today, I wonder if we could gather our families. It's a pr- pretty big altar. If you want to come down here. I want to ask the families. We're going to have a lot of time together. This is going to be fun. But we're going to start this off spiritually. We're going to start this off with families gathering around and binding together. Because you know the Spirit can do things that we can't do. You know, God asks you to do the things that you can do. But He's going to come and make the difference when you can't do it. I wonder if we can all, right now, invite God's presence in, gather your family, and pray a blessing. And fathers and mothers, let your kids hear the blessing. Let them hear the words coming out of your mouth speaking blessing 
speaking prosperity, speaking healing, speaking things, blessing and multiplication, health and wellness into their life. Come on right now. Every single father, come on, let's lift our voice. This is one of the most important things that we could do right now. This is the most important thing that we could do this month is to reach out to God. God, protect my family. God, give me wisdom. God, give me wisdom with my family, Jesus. God, help me with my self-control, Jesus. God, help me, Jesus, to, to show my family, God, what you are really like, the heavenly Father that you are to me, the forgiving Father that you are to me. Come on, fathers, let's lift our voices. Let's pray that blessing. God, do it right now, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. Oh, God, do something great today, God, in us. God, we need your strength, God. Enlighten us where we can change, Jesus. Strengthen us when we can change them, Jesus.